If you got your notes, if you wouldn't mind grabbing them out, or I guess it's your bulletin, it's got your notes in them. We're in this series, uh, or beginning it today, called Unreligious. And if you don't know, if you're not familiar with Jesus or the New Testament, if your only experience uh, about um, really Christianity is what you've seen from afar, uh, you, you think it's fairly religious. I, I mean, if you just kind of took a, a poll and you just looked at our current state of the way we do church, it, it is a religion. And yet, if you study the New Testament, in fact, you study the Gospels, and we're in the Gospel of Mark, what you'll find is that Jesus was distinctly unreligious. What you'll find is over and over, he uh, clashed with the religious leaders. Uh, His reputation is one and such that he was known as a drunkard and a sinner because he hung out at parties, not where religious people hung out, but where non-religious people hung out. He was, he engaged in all sorts of things that everyone looked at and said, that's not religious. Jesus, Jesus is distinctly, unequivocally unreligious. And yet, and yet, What's interesting, fast forward 2,000 years later, if we had to define and looked on the outside, what is Christianity? We might be tempted by what we see around us and say, well, it's just a religious movement. You see, religion, religion always leads to legalism. Legalism is is a way of earning your way to God, a way of somehow trying to be right and do right. Jesus always leads to love. See, there is this common argument in the day, and they would have these uh, conversations, the religious leaders and the, uh, the, the priests and the scribes and Pharisees, and they would be asking, what is the greatest commandment? What is the greatest law? And see, Jesus wasn't anti-law. He just defined the law as really summed up in two clear commands. And it was in the area of love. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love others. He said, all of the law, all of the command is not to bring some sort of rightness of like, I just can do these things, and here's this checklist. It is about relationship. See, legalism is this, rules at the expense of relationship. It is following rules at the expense of other relationships. I got my to-do list, and it's not relational, and I don't care where you're at. It's just about me and making sure I check off my list. And Jesus would say, it is not rules at the expense of relationship. In fact, the rules are for the sake of relationship. Love is the greatest command in the whole Scripture. In fact, it is the foundation for every single thing that God says throughout this entire book. So, so if Jesus, if Jesus is distinctly unreligious, the question for us, if we kind of look at where we're at today, 2,000 years later, and we give a survey of the church and say, you know what, it seems like, it seems like, it seems like we've been caught in a religious system, doesn't it? In, In a religious pattern, And I believe there's a fundamental question we need to ask 
for us as a church. Because we're not following a system here at Awakening Church. We are following a person. His name is Jesus. Okay? What? What is it? What does it look like? What's the question that would help us determine whether we're caught in a relationship or caught up in a, uh, caught up in a religion? Is there a way to kind of know, am I just simply caught up in this religious system of do good, irregardless of whether anything around me or anyone else around me is impacted, how am I doing, or am I caught up in a relationship, one in which just exposes love to those around us? Here's the question. In fact, the question is one that we're going to be unpacking for the next few weeks because Jesus unpacks this in his life over and over If you want to figure out whether you're caught up in a religion or caught in a relationship with the God of the universe, is this real simple question. It's a diagnostic question. Does does what you know cause your love to grow? Does what you know cause your love for others to grow? The Apostle Paul would later say it in 1 Corinthians this way, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Jesus would say that as you grow in knowledge and relationship with me, your love for others should grow faster. Your capacity to love others should grow wider. Religious, if you're religious, the more you know, the more you like, hey, they don't know that. There's a superiorism. I'm not sure that's a word. <laughs> Superiority. Yeah, there we go. We'll, we'll work on the Ingramisms later. There's a, there's a reality where you, in, if you're religious, you go, I did this, you didn't do this. I compare myself to you to make myself feel good, and then if I compare myself this way, I don't feel good, and so I'm going to compare this way, and you feel superior to others. And your to-do list isn't to help and love, it's just to be better than the next person around you. Does what you know, does what you know cause, compel, compel you to love Jesus and God more? Does it compel you to love those around you? In fact, Uh, Jesus is going to answer this over and over by how he lives. In fact, there's going to be, we're going to study seven different pictures uh, of how Jesus says, what you begin to know about me is it is all, it is all about love. That I came that you would experience a life-changing relationship with the God of the universe. And in doing so, if you evidence by how you love God, others. And so if, when we study his life, what you'll find out is that he is compelled, compelled by love. If you got your Bibles, would you open them up to Matthew 1, 40 through 45. Now, Jesus found himself 
Yeah, in, in hot water with the religious leaders over and over uh, throughout his time. In fact, all the way at the very end, they're trying to figure out how to kill him and eventually come up with a plan that succeeds. This is the opening story to what began for him uh, starting this hot water because he began to rock the religious system the way we always kind of defined right because religion really is about doing right, not, not you know, kind of, doing right, not necessarily being right. It's always about like, I got the standard. And Jesus said, hang hang on. How can you know all this stuff and yet treat people that way? The disconnect is way, way off. If we got it, if you got your Bible, pick it up in Mark chapter 1, verse 40. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees. If you're willing, you can make me clean. Verse 41, filled with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. He said, I'm willing. Immediately, and he said, be clean. Immediately, the leprosy left him and he was cured. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to priests and offer sacrifices that, tell, uh, that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Instead, he went out and began talking freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places, yet the people still came to him from everywhere. Now, this story doesn't strike us as odd because we don't engage in, with leprosy. And the Greek word leprosy here can mean uh, what we're often diagnosed today as leprosy, the skin ailment, uh, and it represented a whole wide array of different other diseases. They didn't have the like specific diagnosis. Uh, in my studies, I researched leprosy. And in fact, I have a notes here if you want to really, there's nodular tubercular leprosy. And as I researched it, it made my stomach just, I'm not going to put you through that, okay? I'm just not going to do that. But it was just it was one of those incredibly painful diseases. We still have it today on, in third world countries. Uh, and it was one in which your skin just began to rot or bubble up. Some lost uh, feeling and as a result began to lose limbs. Uh, but the big importance of this was in the area of the religious and social implications. Uh, New Testament scholar David Garland writes this, Anyone who had su suspected signs of leprosy was brought to a priest for examination, who alone could pronounce that he or she had the disease or that he had been cleansed from it. The priests of Israel uh, differed from those other religions who purportedly knew curative secrets in that they had no power and could offer no ritual to heal the disease. Israel believed that healing was entirely in the hands of God. Priests, therefore, simply declared what was clean and unclean. Now listen to this. If a priest declared a particular skin problem to be leprosy, so they didn't know what it was, but he had something. Like I woke up this morning with three dots right here, um, and they're really itchy. Pretty sure it's not leprosy, but uh, I hope not. But if they uh, examined that and said that's leprosy, the sufferer was excluded from community by divine decree this banishment was not rooted in fear of spreading the disease, but in spreading religious impurity. 
Leprosy was considered a primary source of uncleanness. Like a corpse, the leper could impart impurity to objects found within the same enclosure. As a result, he or she was viewed as a living corpse and a cure likened uh, likened to raising the dead. The leopard was confined by a strict set of rules and governed his conflict and relations with other people. Now, here's why this is such a big deal. Jesus steps onto the scene. This leper has pure and unadulterated disregard for the reality of his current state and what he's stepping into. He's breaking social norm and religious law by coming to Jesus. Everyone around him, as this leopard comes into the middle, they scatter because they don't want to be unclean. It's like having in their society, this is a dead man walking in the middle of them and they scatter away. And Jesus does the unthinkable. He doesn't say, be healed. He doesn't just do that. He could have. But think about this man who for who knows how long has been ostracized from community, that wherever he had to go, he would carry a bell or a thing, a chain around his neck, and he would hit it, and he would yell, unclean, unclean, unclean. And people would run, and parents would pull their kids away, keep away from the grotesque man. And Jesus sees this man in all his pain and all his shame and his courage and his boldness to come even where he was not allowed, knowing that he had a hope and his hope was Jesus, that he would risk whatever it was to come to Jesus. And I love this. I love this. Jesus doesn't from afar say, you know, like, because Jesus, I'm pretty sure he knew about con- contaminant. You know, I'm working on words today. Unbelievable. <laughs> I'm not even going to try that one again. <laughs> he reaches out his hand to touch a man who hasn't felt human touch for who knows how long, who's been ostracized from society. Who everyone else who came, he came in front of, ran from him. And Jesus came to him and touched him. He touched him before, by the way, did you notice in the text, he healed him. The sign of touching was the sign of acceptance, of love, of affection. And he says, I love you, I accept you, you are mine. Even before he healed the man. I want you to notice a pattern, because this is a pattern, this is a pattern that is deeply unreligious. And it's not in your notes, you'll have to write it. At verse um, 41, you just see it, filled with Compassion. That's our word. We've taught on this a couple times in the last couple months. It comes up in Jesus. Spagizomai, filled with compassion. It is a a deep feeling that produces action. And, And what you'll notice as we study the life of Jesus together, you'll see a pattern in the way he relates to the hurting, the broken, uh, the the those that are in desperate need of God. 
those who are far from him. He relates this way every single time. Jesus always led with compassion. That was his starting point with the hurting. That was his starting point with the broken. That was his starting point with those who were far from him, with the adulterer, with the uh, drunkard, with the partier, with the tax collector. It didn't matter if you knew your need. He always led with compassion, not condemnation. Now watch this, watch this. Verse 43, then Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. Now, do you notice what he does here? He unpacks in this section, see that you don't tell anyone this, but go show yourselves to the priests and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing. Jesus always led with compassion, and then he followed with clarity. See, he didn't abolish the Mosaic law. The Levitical code of what a leopard needed to fulfill in becoming clean. He said, fulfill it to the T. Go and do what you know is right to do. Rough translation here. He meets us where we are at, gives and extends complete compassion that brings healing, and then follows with clarity. John said this uh, when he talked about Jesus in his gospel. John said about Jesus that Jesus was the fullness of grace and truth. Jesus, with the hurting and the broken, always brought grace and then followed it with truth. See, some of us want one side or the other. And religious people are always about clarity, always about being really, this is right, and why didn't you get this? And they hammer you with truth, and it's over the head, and you're just like, ah, I'm already broken. I'm already leprous. I'm already hurting. I don't need to be hit anymore. But religious people constantly move with clarity first, clarity first. And Jesus says, compassion first. But he doesn't leave us there. Because some of us like the compassion side and the love side, and it's sweet and nice, but never deal with the hard reality. Say, no, 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 there is a right and wrong. No, there is consequences to our sin. You know, in this day with the leper, uh, the widespread belief, and this was among Jews and among uh, the Gentile world, was that your sickness was a divine punishment. It was consequence for your sin. And so people wouldn't reach out to people who were sick because it was they were getting what they deserve. And Jesus flipped that and said, let's not even deal with that. Let's deal with the hurt and the brokenness, and then I'll follow with the truth. Jesus, Jesus' response to our brokenness is deep, deep compassion, not condemnation. I don't know where you've come from. I don't know what you've experienced. But what I do know in the history of modern church, unfortunately, we led with clarity instead of compassion. We've led so much of this is right, this is right, this is right. And, and yeah, 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 yeah. The hurting, the broken, the needy already know that. 
They need the healing touch of a Savior and the extended compassion of grace from God. In one of the uh, writings, ancient writings, it's in uh, the Leviticus Rabbah. It's what's called the Mishnah. Uh, it is the commentary of Leviticus, what rabbis would commentary and write extra to make sure they followed the law. This is one of the common phrases. According to tradition, a rabbi, when he saw a leopard, would throw stones at him and shout, Go to your place and do not defile other people. And yet Jesus, and yet Jesus extended the healing touch rather than hurling Stones. When Barclay theologian writes this, lepers had not only to bear the physical pain of their disease, they had to bear the mental anguish and heartbreak of being completely banished from human society and totally shunned. Jesus was more concerned with the person standing before him than public opinion around him. Jesus was more concerned with the person standing in front of him than his own personal comfort. He stepped into the hurting, uncomfortable place, irregardless of what anyone was saying and snickering around him. How could you? Why would you? I can't believe you would do that. That's, you call yourself a Christian. See, because Jesus Jesus had this thing. He didn't see a leopard. He didn't see a deformed person in front of him. You know what he saw? He saw an image bearer of the God of the universe, one who is deserving of honor and respect, and one who is deeply loved by the God of the universe. He didn't see all the the deformation and brokenness. He saw the imprint that God had placed inside of him. He said, I want to pull that out of you. In fact, there is this textual variant uh, where verse 31, where it says filled with compassion. One, one textual variant that we have on this, is, it says he was filled with anger. Anger at how the situation of brokenness, depravity has taken this man's to where he was at, that he was so angered to act on his behalf. Bless you. You're welcome. Let me ask you this. Let me just ask you this. Let's do this together. Who, who are the lepers in our day? Uh, come on, come on, help me, help me out. I didn't, I didn't do enough research. I didn't do enough work this week. The homeless, absolutely. I just drove past a guy this morning, and yeah, absolutely. Who, who else? That's it? <laughs> Sorry, what? Mental illness, sure, absolutely, absolutely. Anybody we can categorize, right? The minute we put them in a category and we name them, it all of a sudden dehumanizes them to the point where we can treat them otherly human. Did you catch that? Okay, that was, that was good, by the way. I want you to catch that. Because we name people all the time. And as a result, it devalues and dehumanizes and takes away the image of God in them. 
And if you think we are above it, we just have to look back 20 years. Because you know one group we didn't mention because it's a little hard is the uh, LGBT community. And it's an area where the church has done a terrible job because we named them and didn't see the God image imprint in them. Just think back, if we're talking about even the, the text and leprosy, in 1981, uh, there was this disease that was discovered, and they didn't know where it came from or how it was working, but it began to ravage a certain part of our society. Uh, and as it ravaged this certain part of the society, it ravaged gay men. And it began to become known as the gay disease. And as a result, Christians did nothing step back and go, you got what you deserved. Sinner. We must be far too careful. See, I think we so often want to identify with Jesus and how he responds. But if I'm honest... The leanings of my soul pour, pull me closer to religious condemnation than relational compassion. Who in your life are those God is calling you to extend compassion to? In fact, I, just do this for me. Write it down on your paper now, just take a second. Who is the person in your life God is calling you to extend compassion to? Who is it that you perceive as defective, malformed, religiously inferior? Who's different that you've named that you can keep at a distance in it because it's safe or they feel unsafe? Who is it? Whose beliefs differ from you and so you keep them at bay. Whose behaviors are so beyond what you would deem norm or right, you wouldn't engage. Jesus' response to our brokenness is compassion. He always led with compassion. Yes, he followed with clarity, but he began with compassion not condemnation. Now, now how do we begin to respond as a church the way Jesus responds? How do we be that type of community? How do we become that type of church that extends grace and hope and life to the hurting and the needy? The first reality is simply this. We can't extend to others what we haven't first experienced. We can't give to others what we haven't received. If you've never experienced the compassion and the grace of Jesus, you cannot give it to others. It will be shallow and it, will be, uh, it won't last. It will be a good intention in the moment. It won't be a deep, deep conviction. To love the way Jesus loves we must first experience Jesus' love. 
It's just that simple. To love the way Jesus loves, we must first experience Jesus' love. So I think we have a lot more to learn from the leper than we think at first glance. You notice the leper. Think about this. Did you notice the leper? It's our posture that positions us to experience the power of God. It's our posture. Notice what the leper did. He came to Jesus, broke all the social norm, broke everything, said, I'm desperate. Came to Jesus, a courageous move, on his knees, without pretense, didn't care what anyone else thought. He said, I'm coming to the one person that I think can save me, and I'm going to break through, and I'm going to get on my knees and just plead because I can't stay this way. I don't want to live this way anymore. I want to be healed. And he had a courageous ask. He says, Jesus, if you're willing, if you're willing. See, I I think, I think too many of us are trying to fix our own lives. And so we don't need a Savior. I think too many of us aren't distinctly aware of our need for Jesus. I can do it. I can handle it. I got it. Far too many, I believe, think Jesus is simply a nice idea instead of a necessary deliverer I can't live without. But the reality is, to love the way Jesus loved, we have to experience Jesus' love. It's our posture that positions us. Coming before him, there must be an awareness. I am in need. Jesus, save me, heal me. I just noticed this, by the way, too. And uh, this last week, I gave you homework, remember that? And to read the passage every day meditatively and just go over it. And homework this week is read the next passage. And um, as I was reading uh, for myself, it was just so powerful. I just noticed this in the text. You notice Jesus gives him this stern warning of what he's to do. And then uh, it says, instead, <laughs> uh, instead, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news That there's this powerful reality that those who've been touched by Jesus can't stop talking about Jesus. You want to know if you're caught up in a religion or caught up in a relationship with a God in the universe? What are you talking about? There's something about the amazing grace of the God in the universe when you've experienced his healing, his acceptance, his love, his new life. You go, I can't, I can't stop talking about him. This last week, as I was reading together with you all in the homework time, um, I found myself identifying more with the leper. And I didn't like it, to be honest. <laughs> like, I, I want to I talk about, okay, how do we change the world, and how do I respond like Jesus, and give all the, yeah. And I realized, I wrote this question down in my journal, and I'm a journaler, some of you aren't, that's okay, but I am. Don't judge me. 
I wrote this question in my journal. Where do I need to experience the healing touch of Jesus? And then I just began to write out in my journal areas in my life. It was an anger issue. It was a lust issue. It was an identity issue. I just began to ride out, Jesus, would you heal me? And I didn't know what else to do in that moment, but I literally just got on my knees in the living room floor. No one's around, and I'm just like crying out to God, God, heal me. Do that work in me. How could I ever, how could I ever think that I could do anything for you without you doing the work in me? How could we ever be the church God is calling us to be? How could we ever? Until we allow him, we get to the point where we go, God, I need you. Would you touch me? Would you heal this area in me? I need a Savior so desperately. How about you? I'm going to invite the band to come on back up. And I just want to simply give us time, and you can pull the lights down in this. Is I just want to respond this way and close this way. I wrote down on your notes maybe some areas, and there's probably different ones, where you need to experience the healing touch of Jesus. Maybe it's the area of your identity. Maybe it's the area of your sexuality. Maybe it's your dating life. Maybe you need the healing touch of Jesus in your marriage. Maybe it's anger. Maybe it's bitterness. Maybe it's family issue. Maybe it's a friendship. Maybe it's purity, integrity. Around the area of food or money or jealousy. Maybe it's your past. Depression, anxiety, doubt, broken relationship, hurt, apathy, selfishness. Maybe it's a physical thing. Maybe people's approval, shame, or addiction, or loneliness. Maybe it's your motives. Man, I've, God's been working on that in me, by the way. Because I pray some of these prayers, and God's just been pinpointing recently my motives. Why are you praying that? Is it for my glory or for yours? Ouch. Maybe it's envy, resentment, pride. I read this quote a number of weeks ago. I thought it would be appropriate to close with this by Tim Keller. The gospel is this. We are more sinful and flawed in and of ourselves than we could ever dare believe. And at the same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. And I just want to have a response time that would be, for some, a courageous move now, I just want to have a time where we're gonna, I'm going to invite you to spend time with him and pray and just go, God, I need the healing touch. And for some in this room, you need to go and get on your knees somewhere in this room and just cry out. And some, you need to have someone pray for you. And I'm just going to stand here at the front. And if you need prayer this morning, would you come forward? I know it takes courage. Would you come forward and just get prayed for? Jesus. Jesus always led with compassion. You're coming to the God of grace, the God who loves you, the God who longs to hear your voice and bring refreshment to your life.